for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today I have Harold Shinsato with me. He's an uh, independent software craftsman, coach, facilitator, speaker, cultural hacker. Uh, there's a laundry list, co-founder of the Montana Code School, the co-author, not co-founder, but co-author of the book, Open Space Agility Handbook. He's a board member of the Open Space Institute. He's a software development expert based on his Twitter account, which, um, which we're going to get to here in a, in a little bit. Uh, his personal interest, he's a drummer and a pilot. Uh, we're going to talk about that as well. Welcome to the podcast, Harold. My pleasure. Thank you, Jochen. Awesome. You are a uh, pilot and uh, I don't know what kind of uh, airplanes you, you operate, but you're also a software development expert. Um, my first question is, do you trust the software in your cockpit? <laughs> I've flown only in airplanes with zero software. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not because you don't trust the software. I, uh, I guess I trusted the software on my phone. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. You're also a drummer. Um, any particular uh, style of music you, you, uh, you enjoy? I, I'm embarrassed to, to say I mostly like doing drum circles, which can sound kind of hippie, mm -hmm. but, but I enjoy doing African drumming in drum circles. Awesome. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, circles, right? And we're going to go to circles when we talk a little bit of open space. So maybe that's the link. Yeah? Um, Correct. Right. So let's talk a little bit about some of those things I just mentioned in the um, introduction here. And one of them is that um, culture uh, a cultural hacker, and maybe some of the listeners on um, Agile FM might not be familiar what what that means. What is a cultural hacker? Uh, how would you define this? I like the term culture hacker. I went to MIT, and the hacking culture was born there. Mm -hmm. And there's a playful element to hacking, and it's really not about uh, black hat uh, kind of marginal criminal activities it was it was simply hacking was about playing with systems where you don't worry as much about authorization mm -hmm. but you're not you're not doing it with any criminal intent so a lot of pranks at MIT were things like disassembling a Volkswagen and reassembling it on top of the of the dome uh, but mm -hmm. um, a lot of hacking was simply just being really late at the at the facilities working on the mainframe when I was there it, there wasn't as much personal computing going around but working with the the vax machines or something and playing zork and mm -hmm. doing thing doing things it was just playing around mm -hmm. so culture hacking is is about finding ways to improve the culture in a in a more playful experimental way and I've removed that from my LinkedIn because it's not quite as appealing to people who might necessarily want to bring someone into their system. So I'm, I'm happy to use that term mm -hmm. on my Twitter account, but yeah, I'm thinking that it might be time to, to grow up a bit 
Mm. Well, there's definitely you know some some people might have a negative association with the with the word hacking or hacker, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then in combination with the culture, but there is there is something serious about it, as you just mentioned, and that is uh, obviously you know finding ways to improve, and, and maybe some of those are a little bit uh, not so uh, um, conventional. Um, maybe that's maybe that's the piece of it. Well, I see open space technology as a incredibly powerful culture hack. Mm -hmm. in that it is pretty easy to play with systems, even large systems using it, and help things make things better mm -hmm. without overly waiting for everyone to agree on anything. That's why it is. Uh, other than, you know, you can come and check it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a perfect way. And I, I saw, or I came across a book with... Uh, 24 work hacks or cultural hacks and, and there was also one was the the open space uh, which we can also talk uh, about in a little bit but before we go there there's another thing I mentioned I just want to make sure that we're clarifying some of those teams so you're a co-active uh, coach right so there's a that's correct uh, there's a program around it um, what does that entail and what is an, a co-active coach and we're going to put these things together here in a, in a little bit but maybe just in terminology not everybody listening to this uh, is familiar with the co-active part of coaching most people have heard about coaching but don't necessarily have clarity about the professional element of coaching which has been developed through the international coaching federation my understanding of the origins of a lot of the current culture and professional coaching community kind of came out of Verna Earhart's work in EST, which now shows up in something called the Forum. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was about getting into effective conversations to help people claim and own responsibility for their own lives and their work. The original term of coaching was to put someone into a coach with horses in front of them, but using that as a metaphor to help them get through exams in England mm. and, and pass exams. <laughs> so the coach would not be taking the exam, but they would help them get through the exam. So that's a lot of the sports coaching work mm. is the coach doesn't play the game, but they help the teams play effectively. Mm -hmm. And a coach, a professional coach, and especially a co-active coach, is very much about a partnership, and that's the co-element. Mm -hmm. But it's not only restricted to co. The co uh, part is is about collaboration and cooperation and doing things together. Uh, but it's kind of a yin yang kind mm -hmm. of thing. So there's also helping people stand alone and understand that there's an element of active work that people might need to do so there's a there's a dualism in mm -hmm. in, co in coaching work right an interesting contrast to what you just said about the more um conventional definition of coaching was there's the preparation for passing an exam or anything right how would that look like in a co-active coach in a more like in a partnership model is there anything different around that so a typical coach um, understanding in sports metaphor is a lot more of an expert model. So the coach is an expert at football, mm -hmm. but they may not be a star athlete anymore. So I've, I've loved this term I've heard recently 
from Dr. David Drake, and he is uh, someone who teaches narrative coaching, which I think is a very useful approach as well, uh, which is post-professional. So the coach is now post-professional football star or performer, and they're supporting others. They might not be able to do a touchdown anymore, mm-hmm. but they know to help, how to help people. Right. In, the co- in the co-active model, your level of expertise is not in what the person is necessarily uh, really strong at, mm-hmm. but being an expert in development, in psychology at some level, but not being a therapist, mm-hmm. to support them in any, any endeavor without needing to be an expert at all. Yeah. So how could companies, organizations out there use something like co-active coaching? Is this more like for an HR department? Is this for management? Is this one-on-one? Is this team? Um, Or is this a little bit of everything? Well, one thing I believe is important to be aware of is that the co-active model has infected the agile coaching community pretty heavily through the work of Lisa Adkins and Michael Spade and the Agile Mm -hmm. Coaching Institute. I, I know that that's, um, the Agile Coaching Institute has been uh, acquired by a consulting company, mm-hmm. but I, I still respect their efforts in bringing a more professional coaching stance and not just a pure expert stance mm-hmm. into, into coaching. So a lot of Agile coaches have some background in co-active work, and it's certainly in professional coaching where you're... N- not only an expert in agility, um, but also an expert in a more collaborative approach of, of holding space for someone's development in, mm-hmm. and helping them move forward without having to know everything about the software base or the mm-hmm. ecosystem that they're a part of. I mean, it, it, it always helps to know the language of the domain, mm-hmm. but we really overestimate the need that we have to fully understand their problem in order mm-hmm. to support them to, to get through it. There's so many commonalities to just the, the process of, of getting better at something, mm-hmm. at anything that yeah. coaching can support people with. Right. So, so one thing I'm like interested in, I want to maybe connect you here with um, the, the Montana Code School you have co-founded. Um, what's interesting here, I, I looked it up, uh, Montana, I'm based out of New York, right? A highly populated <laughs> part of the United States. Montana, on the other side, it's uh, seven people in average per square mile. Uh, so not so populated, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I like to call Montana, which uh, the code is MT. I like to call it the empty state. The empty state. But there are actually two more states. I looked that up too, that are actually less populated. But like in a style of what you're describing of face-to-face and uh, co-active coaching where people need to come together and do this, what, what kind of impact does that have for you in, uh, in the Agile world being out of Montana and uh, also for your Agile community work you're performing in, in that state? Maybe connecting a little bit that part of the country with the work you're doing and the challenges. Well, you know, something that's very interesting, being in Montana really helped me develop. I was born in New York City. I have family there, and it's going to be fun seeing them when I get to speak at your conference Mm -hmm. in New York City. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then I got my really serious programming job at Xerox in Xerox Park in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is also heavily populated. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I got to Montana that I could I could really uh, I could really start learning about how to impact systems and starting a user group, uh, then starting to learn about unconferences and thinking I want to do my own. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned about it at the Java One conference, but I actually did it in Montana and started with 15 people and just doubled every year. Mm-hmm. And then I just started becoming really aware of the, the value of the origin of unconferencing, which was open space technology, got very serious with it uh, Mm -hmm. and it's it's become something that i see as being very valuable and that's helping the agile community the whole agile community evolve learn about useful practices ways of thinking collaborating with each other and this is really really valuable for the montana code school in that my involvement in open space helped me do an open space at the University of Montana, which helped me be pulled into starting this code school. Mm-hmm. And some of my open space work helped them use a model that helped engage the, the local business community to uh, use something called Lean Coffee, which mm-hmm. is like a mini open space. Yeah, they, The community used this to realize, as they voted up again and again and again, that they really wanted a code school in, in Missoula, Montana. So that helped that get created. And yeah, fantastic, yeah. And this kind of coactive, collaborative, uh, open space-like approach mm-hmm. is it was really essential in helping the students start stepping up into their own responsibility for their own careers, mm-hmm. rather than being coming overly dependent on on the teacher or some expert. Right. So, um, so I guess it's it's all about the quality of interaction rather than the amount, right? And uh, I think this is evidence. Like even with a small group, you started. I mean, it's it's growing, uh, even in a state of Montana where people have to go far, far distances possibly to connect, right? Um, this is awesome. And uh, yeah, so I'm just curious um, from the technical work you just mentioned, the uh, the Xerox Park. Um, I'm not sure if that was like in Sunnyvale, California, I would assume, right? Um, if this is where everything spun off. You're a very technical person, and uh, obviously also through the Montana Code School. But then there is this other aspect and all these things we have been talking about so far, cultural hacking, coactive coaching, um, and open space as, a, as, a, as another thing. You have even co-authored this book. So these are very two different kind of extremes, like the interpersonal Part and uh, obviously the technology part. Why does that intrigue you and, and drive you so much, that these two extremes? I actually don't see them as extremes. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a part of the talk in New York City, which is that what's happening is our capacity, and this is true for all technology work, the, the technologies of the community are, are what help the community evolve in their understanding. And a lot of people like to poo-poo some of these other things as touchy-feely. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. However, what, what, we, what we find in the evolution of science, moving from pre-science to science, as Thomas Kuhn talked about, 
in, in his study of the history of science is, is that uh, as, they, as they get more into dialogue, they start coming more into a coherent model that there's some level of agreement on founding axioms or paradigms that they can then uh, start producing results. And this is inherent in software. Software is being built on agreed upon uh, structures that help the bits flow. Mm-hmm. And, and until you get to that level of, of coherence, especially in what they call the so-called soft sciences, it's harder to actually make real progress. And Mm. software is demanding this rigor. It's really demanding it. And like we have had a lot of intuitions about what is needed to help collaboration be effective without necessarily proofs. But uh, the work of Google Mm -hmm. was very exciting from their project Aristotle research to show that there are certain a kind of almost protocol that's needed to help people and teams to be effective to have what they call psychological safety, but it's a, it's like a protocol of somewhat equal presence mm-hmm. on the, on the communication bandwidth of the team. Mm-hmm. So th- this to me is not, com- they're not extremes at other ends. They're actually very integrated and they follow each other and they yeah. always have. Yeah. Well, so so let's say part of the coactive uh, coaching, right? So just to take an example, is also about the listening and the change in listening um, to each other. Um, and then correct me if it's if it maybe it's just me, but the industries, um, IT or non-IT, um, everything seems to be f- moving a little bit faster in in recent years, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? But I feel like we make a lot of decisions based on headlines only. Uh, rather than you know, like uh, I think that the speed of decision making um, is is catching on. What what is the impact on on coactive coaching, right? So there are some certain elements that require certain things of standing back and, and let's say the listening as a part, right? Um, we hear from you like a certain calmness to the uh, to the approach. Um, but what do you think is the impact of that? The current development, the industry where, and you can just pick the technology if that's if that that's okay with me, right? But I think it's across the board for all the, the industries. Um, what do you think is the impact on that on coactive coaching? Do you think it's going to flourish more, or do you think it's actually going to be challenged by the speed of execution of decision making? Um, so that's a very that's a very deep complicated question Uh, um, so just just to maybe go at this a little yep dissect uh, it yeah it's going to be profound but Mm -hmm. it's it's shallow at the same time uh, which is that this apparent paradox of going really really fast um, similar to the paradox of just everything going into into the cloud into computing Mm -hmm. exactly uh, this this paradox is that the more you go really fast, the more it's necessary to know how to be really, really still. Mm-hmm. And the more that we get super, super good at computing and robotics, the the more requirement the, the whole overall system is demanding us for starting to understand our humanity. So if you think about it, 
there's really there's really little way to get effective signal if you don't have a good ground. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's just inherent in communication technology. Yeah, this, the, the, this inherent in computing. You need a ground. Um, well, the same the same is true socially. We need to have a ground, and that ground is the is the common space that where we can all recognize where the signal is. And if we don't have that ground, then we can't communicate, mm. and we can't go fast. So that requires that we have that ground, and that's similar to what I see as being why open space technology is so foundational, mm. is because you you just say, well, let's temporarily suspend our awareness of all the social structures and hierarchies, suspend that for a bit, put everyone in, on an equal ground so that we can entertain uh, where they're at. It's, mm. it's kind of a, a group mindfulness exercise. Yes, I, I would definitely agree with that. I, I myself do quite a bit of open space um, facilitation like on-site with clients, like privately. And, and we're doing one in the, in the conference as well. We've been doing this in, uh, for many, many years. Uh, and there's definitely something to it, right? So whenever you uh, invite people and you have an open space, the, they walk away by the end of it. Uh, the participants, if that was their first experience with open space, it's something like an aha, and it was good to step back, and it was good to take the time to discuss these topics and have a really better alignment of, of ideas and, and so forth. So there's definitely some grounding going on in open space. Um, you wrote the book and co-authored the book, the Open Space uh, Agility book. You are the board member of the Open Space uh, Institute or a board member of the uh, Open Space Institute. Open Space uh, obviously impacts you uh, in all parts of your career. How do you, um, how do you see this flourish, uh, open space in organization? I just want to hear what, what, what you think, uh, possibly working with clients or in conferences. How do you think that could possibly flourish organizations, improve their coaching stands or human values or however you want to define this? What do you think open space brings to, to them? Uh, I, I'd love to answer that question just briefly before I do. Sure. I, I think it's valuable to be aware that open space has been really an early adopter thing uh, socially. Mm-hmm. As, as opposed to early majority. So by and large in the software industry, Agile is late majority. Mm-hmm. At, at least, you know, just people doing Scrum or at least knowing about the Agile manifesto and, and trying to do Agile. But most people and most organizations aren't even have a clue or have never heard about open space technology. I agree. Mm-hmm. E- even though, um, even though all of them in their childhood have sat around campfires or sat around in circles playing duck, duck, goose or some <laughs> other awareness of, yeah. of, of, of circle technology. Um, and it's certainly a core element of indigenous culture. So in some ways, open space technology is really going back to basics. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, a little kindergarten lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's practice listening to each other a yeah. little bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in terms of how this is moving into organizations, so much of the way organizations are structured today have have come out of the church hierarchy or military hierarchy. We all know about that. Mm-hmm. We all we all know that 
that we're moving into flatter structures and um, trying to get more engagement. And we're, we're trying to get uh, people to take more responsibility for the work that they're that they're doing and encourage empowered cultures, etc. And all of these hierarchical structures are have always been designed to essentially firewall off responsibility. Mm-hmm. And and so, how do we help get people to take ownership of the overall organizational goals? And uh, I'm very convinced. I've seen it work. That open spaces is, is going to be a core a core process in that. Mm-hmm. And that if it's it's in the in the near future is going to it's going to be moving into the early majority, and people will will just know this is something that's available to us to to try. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree because. I haven't met anybody yet who went through it the first time through an open space who hasn't said after the open space was completed that they want to do it again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that is the evidence of, of people will spread the word and they like it and they see the outcome. And uh, we had some really emotional responses even to open space where people felt extremely productive and so forth. Do you have do you have any just like because you're so exposed and the answer might be a simple no but maybe because you're so exposed to the open space institute and everything are there any kind of metrics or measures um, that link this kind of style to and maybe even servant leadership and autonomy in, in addition to that to increase productivity and so on is there any kind of hard data that could support that oh so. Um, there is some in terms of, I mean, it depends on how you define hard data, Yeah. but um, what I'm excited about applying and inviting open space uh, practitioners into is a kind of state of open space survey, similar to what Puppet Labs has done with the state of DevOps, mm-hmm. because they, they're tuning into hard science, in my opinion, hard science. Um, provable science around uh, the effectiveness of, of surveys and how to design them properly with psychometrics and get useful get useful metrics. Mm-hmm. And what's what's interesting is is um, you get a better baseline for cycle time, lead time, um, mean time between failure mm-hmm. by by asking people questions rather than trying to plug into their systems. Mm-hmm. Which I had never considered before, uh, but that the things can always be gamed. But of course, yeah, they, they it's a lot easier to set baselines and and get uh, useful information uh, by just talking to people, even if it's subjective, mm-hmm. and getting enough people into the survey than what happens when you, you need know. to get a uniform definition technically of all the systems and when's the beginning and when's the end and just having conversations around geometrics. Like, yes. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> very frustrating. <laughs> very mm. long process. And, you know, machines can lie. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so uh, it's, it's been really, um, it's been a pleasure um, talking with you, Harold. Um, but before we close out, um, I do I do know you speak at a lot of conferences. You come to New York in September the fifth to the Agile Day, uh, which is by the way um, available the whole program at uh, AgileDay2018.org. Uh, you come to New York and you will 
uh, present um, at that conference, but you are, you also present at other conferences. Is there anything you would like to see based on your experience with those things we just discussed and touched on? Is there anything you would like to see change in these Agile conferences around the world? And, and maybe let's just start with the next one, the Agile 2018. Um, I don't know. Are you are you going to that conference? And uh, yes, I am. I uh, am. Okay, so maybe we take that as an example, or we take uh, other agile conferences you have seen, or you see that are lined up. What do you like to see increase, and what do you like to see decrease? I believe that the awareness of open space is steadily increasing. Mm-hmm. They've actually used open space in the big agile conference at the end end day, which is like fascinating to watch. There's also what they call the open jam in the big conference. And that's actually interesting because that's where the experts go. Mm-hmm. They don't like go to all the other experts talking because they usually already know what mm-hmm. the experts are talking about. But they want to hang out with the other experts and maybe come up with new stuff. And that would, I say, is what I uh, think would be useful for more people to be aware that they can not only quickly evolve their understanding by connecting to experts mm-hmm. rather than just maybe watching them talk on YouTube or go to a go to a conference where people are talking where you might as well just have done it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like the, the more we get to be in conversation with each other, like open spaces, like one long coffee break, mm-hmm. uh, the more rapidly we are getting information much, much more rapidly because you're getting uh, very quick feedback when you're in conversation. Mm-hmm. And the, the you can drive uh, in in a conversation. If you try to drive when you're just watching and there's no feedback, I mean, how can you direct the car to get anywhere? Right. It's, it's very, very slow. Mm-hmm. So definitely an increase on, on open space and open jam. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it needs to change. It just is changing. Yeah. Do you like to see something go away? Um, less uh, jockeying for position and trying to become rock stars. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of value to the community uh, for people racing to the front of the parade. Mm-hmm. I definitely like to see less of that. Okay, awesome. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Maybe Agile 2018 is the start of all that. And uh, do want to say thank you, Harold, Harold Shinsado. And uh, again, um, people can reach out to the uh, the show page on Agile FM, and this is where all the links are to your books, to your uh, code school, to the Open Space Institutes, and so forth. And obviously, the book uh, you co-authored. I'm looking forward uh, to our event in uh, September in New York. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I'm looking to forward to it as well. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.